you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, podcasters' journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you are listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping out the show by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, before we get started on today's podcast, let me just say thank you to Kathy for becoming a patron. Kathy, I can't tell you how much your generosity and your support means to me and my family. Uh, it is really great to have you as part of the Diggin' Oak Island family. If you guys think the show's worth five bucks a month to you, you could become a patron too. Just go to patreon.com slash Island. Uh, and for patrons, we're going to have a contest. I've been promising this for a while. We're going to have it this week. Check your Patreon page and you'll see what I'm talking about because what I'm talking about is this book that I'm just about to talk about. <laughs> the book is called Oak Island Illustrated, the 225-year search for the truth and treasure. It's written by historian and author John Bell, and we're going to be talking to him today. I have one copy of that book to give away to a patron, so go to your Patreon page and learn how to enter that contest. All right, so we have a two-part interview coming on this podcast and the next podcast, and it is with this author, John Bell. And uh, the book, which is a beautifully presented book, it's a larger book, it's like a trade paperback size, full of great images and pictures and great information. He's got about he's about three or four different parts to the book. The first about 15 to 20% of the book is dedicated to a brief history of the dig, and then the rest of it is dedicated to two different theories, and he covers all sorts of theories in this book. I mean, you'll hear us talk about it in the next podcast more, the uh, theories, but everything from the Spanish to the Templars to uh, also to paranormal stuff, everything is kind of covered in there. And then he has sort of a nice wrap-up overview. The best way I can describe this book is by saying, if I were to teach an Oak Island 101 college course, this would be the textbook for that course. It covers all sorts of stuff, including all these different theories and touches on all these different things, which you're going to hear about now. Now, the, the interview is divided into two podcasts. This first one is going to be about his history with Oak Island, how he came to write this book, and then a little bit about the early search and the discovery of the money pit and the history of the search. And then we're going to come back next week and talk more about the theories. So we're going to take a little break here, listen to some seagulls uh, going chirping and waves lapping on the beach, and then we're going to come back and hear the beginning, the first part of my interview with author and historian John Bell, the writer of the book Oak Island Illustrated, the 225-year search for truth and treasure. Coming back... Joining me now, this is an, uh, an interview that uh, we've been trying to put together for probably the better part of a year here, is the author of a book called Oak Island Illustrated, The 225-Year Search for Truth and Treasure. He, he is a historian from the Maritimes. Uh, I believe you live in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, and his name is John Bell. John, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me, and thanks for your interest in the book. 
Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself first, just so people have an idea of uh, what angle. Ah, we shouldn't say what angle you're coming from, but you're a local. I mean, this I am. Is, yeah, I, and and you're a historian of not only Oak Island but of Nova Scotia in general, correct? Nova Scotia and various aspects of uh, Canadian uh, cultural and 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 military history. Maybe it'd be helpful if I said uh, uh, talked a wee bit about how I came to write the book. Yeah, that and, was going to be my next question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, late in 2019, I had finished work on researching and editing a war memoir by my wife's great uncle. He was a mechanic from the north end of Halifax who had served in, as a gunner in the First World War. And he, he later, after the war, moved to Brooklyn and opened up a garage there a really interesting character. But in January 2020, having finished work on that, I told my wife I was going to take a break from research and writing, going to put my feet up. It's going to read detective <laughs> novels, watch television, watch movies, listen to podcasts. However, turned out that my break was very short-lived. A month later, I was approached by Formac, and they asked me if I would be interested in producing an illustrated book exploring the key Oak Island theories. They were obviously inspired by the adage that uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. They were looking for someone who had experience with visual research. And in addition, they wanted a writer who had significant experience in the historical field. So having worked as a senior archivist, historical researcher and curator of both exhibitions and websites at the National Archives for nearly 30 years, and having written or edited more than 20 books touching on you know, various aspects of Canadian cultural or military history, I was definitely interested in the project. But I had to admit to them, though, that I wasn't a diehard fan of The Curse of Oak Island. <laughs> in fact, over the, over the years, I really only read a few Oak Island-related articles and perhaps one of the early books, uh, maybe the Harris book when I was quite young, and I'd only watched a few snippets of the TV show. But was, as someone with uh, deep family roots in Lunenburg County, I was certainly aware of the ongoing appeal of uh, Oak Island. And I tended to view the treasure hunt as an important part of uh, this county's rich folklore tradition. And uh, as it turned out, Formac was comfortable with the fact that I had some distance from the subject. And uh, they said they were looking for a, a fresh pair of eyes, a new perspective. Um, so then we, we discussed, okay, well, what will the goals be? What, what, what's going to shape the book? And uh, so some of the key principles I think that we agreed on was that we were going to avoid a text-heavy approach and use visuals whenever possible to tell the story. Uh, you know, a lot of the other books on Oak Island are very text-heavy. And uh, some of them don't even have indexes, um, you know, so allowing you to go back and go, okay, well, how many references to the Spanish were there in this book? Uh, try and find them all. They won't be an easy hunt. The other thing is we would offer a summary description of the key elements. And then we provide historical description, historical context, rather, for the, for this, for the theories. They wanted a book that would examine the key theories with a lot of emphasis on, on, on visuals and providing some historical context so you could understand them. Because without that, some of them are, you know, are inexplicable, really. 
And then we were going to shift the focus from the conventions and tropes of the reality TV show to the history of theorizing. And uh, in other words, don't ignore the Lagina's achievements, but recognize there's no point in simply rehashing their activities and this show's numerous, could it be, speculations. <laughs> you did that very well. Right? Um, <laughs> needless to say, if Billy Gerhardt unearths a treasure chest of doubloons or the Holy Grail, uh, we can issue a revised edition of the book. <laughs> and, and we can even put Billy on the cover. <laughs> so, you know, here I am in early March 2020. I'm about, I'm preparing to embark on my research in libraries and archives and museums. <laughs> right. <laughs> then I begin to hear more and more news stories about something called COVID. Right. A threatening virus that was quickly spreading throughout the world. And, you know, as you know, not long after, we're all living in a Stephen King novel. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, here in Nova Scotia, we were told by our premier, kind of the equivalent of your governors, right. uh, to stay the blazes home. <laughs> so the, all the cultural institutions were shut down. And so all of a sudden, my research had to shift almost entirely to the web. Right, right. And... Uh, I was fortunate, and as you probably know, there is a remarkable amount of material out there on the web, it touching sure on Oak Island and providing visuals and, and background documents and archival material. So that was good. But one of the problems I had, the biggest, one of my biggest challenges was I had to find public domain, copyright-free images with a high enough resolution that they could be published in a book. And uh, that turned out to be uh, quite a challenge. I mean, some of the images in the book are, I mean, th these are the kind of things people are always asking for, right? It's folks on the show, who, people who are fans of the show, because we get the same images on the show all the time. And a lot of them are usually, what do we call them? dramatic representations yeah so so what you guys have put here in this book is well beyond that um and it's it's an amazing reference for for things like uh you know when people ask questions like could could somebody possibly do this could they have gone across the ocean yada 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 all those questions well you're getting really good images on here of the size of ships or yeah. the way things were built back then and what things could what could be done you know and it's it's brilliant. I love the way you guys did that. Now, um, a couple of things, to, a couple of questions before we get into the book. Actually, one in particular that I ask anyone who I've spoken to who's from the area around Oak Island. Uh, yeah. And you touched on this a little bit, but when you were... When you were young, when you were growing up, in the, the years long before uh, the curse of Oak Island even, what is the... You told us a little bit about your personal... Um, relationship to Oak Island, but what was your take on the way the area thought of Oak Island? You know, the, what, what, what was it like? I mean, cause there was a long dark period there, right? Where Dan Blankenship owned the Island and didn't let anyone, including other property owners on the Island <laughs> beside right. himself and who he wanted. Uh, and I wonder during those time for, during that time frame in those kind of areas, what people thought of Oak Island during, you know, leading up to when the, when the show started and what was the general thought around there when the show actually began? 
you know, were people are people generally skeptical? Are they believers, or is it just sort of like somebody who lives next to Disneyland? You know, and they, <laughs> they do what they do over there, and we just go about our lives yeah. as normal. You know, that that's a great question. I would say that you know, over the years, as I was growing up in Nova Scotia, there were kind of an intermittent but steady stream of articles, feature pieces in the paper or local magazines about Oak Island. Uh, the Harris book was available in bookstores, uh, you know, and prominently displayed. There was, I think one thing you've got to understand if you put it in context, remember that for the longest time, the assumption was it was pirate treasure. Right. Right? Yep. If you go back to, uh, you know, the classic study of the folklore of Lunenburg County by Helen Creighton. The first chapter of her book is entitled Treasure. <laughs> so that gives you a yeah, sense yeah. of, you know, how significant treasure-related folklore is in, in, in this area. To quote her from my book, um, she writes, Nova Scotia is almost an island and there is scarcely a place among the whole coastline where stories are not told about Captain Kidd and his treasure. <laughs> so, you know, my family's from the Lahave Islands in Lunenburg County, and there's tons of folklore uh, relating to treasure and, and those islands as well. Um, but I think that there were people who were fascinated by it, uh, but, but I think that the what the Laginas have done, they've really uh, inspired a great deal of interest even here in Nova Scotia. I mean, I think there's always been uh, skepticism. Uh, and But there are fans galore relating, uh, you know, for, for that show here in Nova Scotia, here in Lunenburg County, um, you know, 15 minutes away from, right. from, from Oak Island. It's there. And, you know, that it, I, I say to people, you know, the Laginas up to this point haven't found necessarily found the treasure, but they have found a treasure. And that is the story of Oak Island. Right. It turns out to be a treasure. And it took these two Americans and their team to demonstrate to Nova Scotians just how powerful and appealing and compelling that story is. So I think we didn't realize just what kind of global reach that story could have. I, I, I'm curious what you think is, um, you know, as you approach this book, what you what you were more fascinated by the history of the complicated and amazing history of the of the dig or the the history of the theorization, you know, the, the how many theories there were or were they were these are these two things that you think kind of all both equally blend towards the popularity of the of the island itself? I think the history of the dig is is fascinating, and uh, but for me, 
as I got caught up in it and started exploring these theories for the first time, really, um, I was fascinated by by the theorists and their attachment to their theories. And, uh, you know, it almost uh, with a, almost a religious fervor, you know, the, their, their belief in their theories, no matter how yeah. outre they might be. Yeah. We're going to, um, we're going to touch on that later on. I mean, that, that is, uh, that is something that fascinates me big time is 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 the way people the psyche of the treasure hunter right the psyche of the believer yes. in these kind of things is yeah. it's and it's as you go through history again we're going to talk about it later but as you go through history it's they're eerily similar even now right like you you could see a thread between somebody like gilbert hedden and rick lagina i oh, mean absolutely right there's a, absolutely there's something there I, i'm not sure i know what it is but <laughs> one of the you know one of the earliest voices uh was the a Nova Scotia writer named James DeMille, very, uh, very popular writer in his day, both in uh, British North America and in uh, the U.S. And uh, he wrote the first book touching on Oak Island, but it was an adventure novel for, right. for boys called The Treasure of the Seas. But, you know, he's got a great quote in that book. He says, scientific men laughed at the theory of kids' treasure and the drain as all moonshine, and said that the company might as well try to dig pits in quicksand. But the stockholders clung to their faith, even after they had failed. And to this day, talk about the treasure, the money hole, the chest, and the drain, as though they were all solid and well-established facts. And that persists to this day. Absolutely. Uh, before, but you have to have that faith, I think, to keep going, right? Um, yes, for sure. I mean, you because they're going through a, uh, something that they, people have been trying to do. I mean, you also have to have an incredible arrogance in yourself, I think, sometimes. Yes. Because all of these people failed or died trying, literally. Yes. And you're convinced, and every one of them says the same thing, right? We're convinced we've got the talent, we've got the, the technology, we've got the wherewithal that Everyone before me yeah. didn't have. That's right. I find that fascinating. It I is really fascinating. <laughs> and they also are uh, they they are very critical of of any skepticism. Yes. Right. And uh, they dismiss the skeptics, no matter how uh, you know persuasive the argument might be that. Uh, you know, presented by the geologists and other people. But uh, we'll get to that. Speaking of skepticism, I just want to quickly read from your first paragraph of the book. And I think this sort of sets the tone of the way this book reads, at least to me. Um, you write, since its discovery in 1795, the main focus of treasure hunting on Oak Island has been the deep, apparently human-made shaft that has become known as the money pit. But this is a misnomer. The initial purpose of the shaft remains unknown, and no significant amount of money has been found in it. In fact, the pit and the treasure hunt it has inspired have been more akin to a gaping maw devouring millions of dollars and six lives. It makes me wonder, um, do you think... With all of this stuff, right, with this, everything we've seen over here, uh, you know, did your, did, did, from the start of this book, did your journey 
make you think any different about that paragraph? Or do you or do you believe <laughs> right? Or do you believe just now as you did when you first thought about these things that this has been nothing but a gaping maw, you know, and and, and nothing really has come out of this? Because to me, that's the key to all of the fascination to this, right? Is that you you nailed it right here. There's we call it the money pit, but there's no money in the money pit. Right. Right? And yet yeah. here we are still all these centuries later writing books, making television shows. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a fascinating angle about this. I'm just curious what you th- <laughs> if you can expand on that idea a little bit about the gaping maw of uh... <laughs> Well, I think if we you know, eventually we can talk about my conclusion and the uh, yeah, yeah. where I look at some of the evidentiary issues that have been uh, ignored. And uh, I talk also about a different approach to solving the mystery. And uh, we can get into that later if you want. Yeah. But, you know, as I wrote the book, I, I really I knew that I had to restrain my skepticism as much as possible and give give the theorists a fair hearing. But if I encountered a gaping hole or, you know, uh, something that was ludicrous. Right. I I had to I had to acknowledge that, you know, but without completely undermining the theory, if it was all possible. Um, you know, so I think anyone reading between the lines, as you've done, can discern that I do approach some, you know, many of the theories with, uh, with some skepticism. It's unavoidable. Okay, so your book is divided into basically four sections, but yeah. it's sort of one section and then... Th- two a b and c really if we think about it there's the history of the dig that you write about and then theories which you've divided into a couple of different uh, yeah. categories well, so let's as talk- i started reviewing the theories i, I kind of realized that they fell into yeah what well, three basic categories you had the what i call the uh the traditional which you know are grounded at least to some degree uh in nova scotia's recorded history and then we have the highly speculative and the skeptics. So, the, you know, the traditional would include the, uh, it includes the Norse, the Spanish, the pirates, the French and the British. And then with the uh, highly speculative, there are many of those, as you know. But I, I right. decided to, you know, focus on the North Africans, the Incas, the Mayans and Aztecs, Henry Sinclair and the Knights Templar. Sir Francis Bacon and his associates, and also touch on the UFOs and the more the, the paranormal, the more uh, uh, outre and outrageous stuff. So let's and, ta- then, and, and then the skeptics. Let's talk a second about the first part, the discovery of the money pit and yeah. the and the history of the dig. I'm curious from a historian's perspective, since you did so much work into this, the question I always have and that I always ask people is. What do we really know about the discovery of the money pit? 
what do we really think happened? Because what I know from my research is what the show tells us, three boys followed strange yeah. lights into this uninhabited island and found this. That is not what happened. No. No. <laughs> you know, so what do we what do you think as a historian we can say we we sh- we do know occurred and especially in those first few years of um of the search, right? Maybe the the boys and even the first company that came in 1804 or so. Yeah. What, what do we know for sure they found and saw? Because a lot of it has kind of turned into a uh, legend at this point, correct? Yeah, no, it has, yeah. And uh, the boys and the initial discovery, I mean, there are definitely uh, issues with that, right? I mean, if, you, if anything of any value, if it was a man-made money pit. Um, it, why would you leave <laughs> and, and you had left something behind of extreme value, right? Right. That you didn't want anyone to discover, but you leave a block and tackle hanging above the hole. Apparently. Um, does that, does that make a lot of sense? You jumping right in, right from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. other thing you'll yeah. find, and you've probably uh, noticed this as well, if you look at the early descriptions, there are they do vary in terms of yeah. what they found at, at, in, in the in those early in the earliest digs, what they found and where they found it, and the distance between the different layers. And, you know, now that's all become kind of mythologized so that we get every 10 feet, there's, you know, a platform, uh, an oak platform, blah, 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 all the way down. Um, No, that's not what was initially described. And, um, I, I, you know, again, I think anyone with historical training is going to view all this evidence with a kind of a healthy skepticism, right? That's what you're you're obliged to do. You're looking for, uh, you know, where, where's, where's the, where are the primary documents, right? Where's the, where's the evidence? So it is problematic for sure. Those, you know, trying to discern what did they actually find? Where did they find it? How deep down were these layers? What did they consist of? This is without, dealing with the geologists, of course, and their explanation of what those boys found. Right. Uh, but people don't really want to hear that. There's also there's also the fact that most of the earliest tellings of the discovery of the money pit are decades after it actually happened. I mean, much of the yeah. original stuff we base it on are from yeah. 30, 40 years later, correct? That's right. And I think the other thing you have to look at is um, who's making money on the early digs? Yeah. Right? Yep. And what motivation do they have to encourage people right. to come out and dig? What did it cost to to lease the area for the for the dig, you know, in the early days? Um That's and right. so there is a there is a you know uh a financial motivation to keep the hunt, the treasure hunt going. There's no question. So let me ask you in your, in your research, what do you think 
of all the things that we see the early searchers have found, you know, all of the stuff, the oak planks, the 90-foot stone, uh, on, on and on and on. Is there any of those things that you look at through history and your, your, your research and you say, yeah, they probably did find that? That's probably – because a lot of these things have disappeared into history, right? I mean, including well, that, the 90-foot yeah, I mean, stone. Nobody's ever actually taken a picture of it or even an etching of it, for God's sake. No, you're right. And, and you know, you know what, when I talk about evidentiary issues, uh, the, the, you know, the major one would be that most of the key elements of the mystery – have been destroyed and no longer exist and can and and can and can't be examined by professional archaeologists or uh, uh, other experts. Right. That's problematic. I mean, with the stone, you know, the notion that it was the inscription was turned away and 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 put into uh, a fireplace. I mean, this thing of extraordinary value, right? Maybe holding the key to the mystery. Why would anyone do that if, in fact, the markings meant anything? It it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then, there were a lot of and then turned into a beating things like that. And then it and, turned into like a beating stone for book. Well, binder, then it became right? a I mean, beating. Yeah, someone bought it, took it to Halifax, a book, a binder, a stationer. And, uh, yeah, use it as a beating stone. It, uh, um, it doesn't line up. <laughs> it, it doesn't really. <laughs> so does any of the early stuff, that, does any of it compel you? Like, besides the 90-foot the stone, there's the, there's the parchment. There's the, um, the potential for metal at the end of a bit. Um, you know, the parchment is still around, but a lot of the other stuff isn't. Any of these descriptions, anything that you read where you took pause and said, well, maybe... Maybe I understand now why they continue to search 200 years later. Well, I'd say that one of the, I know it's an odd thing to point to, the, those anomalous little finds, like the, uh, the little piece of parchment, um, it's hard to attach any real significance to that. And when we talk about the evidentiary issues later, I mean, we, you know, there is a history of people salting the money pit area for a joke mostly and dropping little okay. little pieces of evidence and you know it's something that went on but there there is a record of that and uh, so how significant is is that little piece of parchment and probably not very to you know to construct an elaborate theory relating to bacon and shakespeare's manuscripts around something like that and, a, and a, a, you know a little bit of mercury you're destroying uh, dr you're destroying dreams mr Bell. i know <laughs> that's quite a leap i guess i'll put it that way um, well but one of the one of the things and unfortunately we don't have a lot of concrete evidence or photographic uh, evidence um, but it's the quantity of coconut fiber if if that's for real even in some descriptions within the money pit, that's that gives you pause. What what would explain that? Um, yeah, 
I, I, you write, uh, continuing on about the dig here, you write at one point um, that due to decades of poorly planned and poorly executed treasure hunting activity, including the destructive use of explosives, some of the most crucial features have been damaged beyond recognition or destroyed. I find that in the current time when we when we get to the search, when we talk about evidence, that a lot a lot of times that simple fact is ignored when we're looking right. at what we're finding in modern times. Yes. Um, so I, I wonder if you think what we find I, you're kind of hinting towards it now, but what we've found what we what we're finding now, can we really attach much to its location? Can we really attach much history to it because so much like you said not only looting but destruction and stuff like that has gone on over the years it really muddies the waters for anybody yes. trying to do any research on the ground of what they're finding right right we so, know that um well maybe we should get to discuss some of those uh evidentiary issues where um you know the We've got if you you can't attach too much significance to a single trinket or anomalous small object that appears on the island. I mean, I think you've got to. You know, I think the important thing is to find something. Well, like the 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 structures in Smith's Cove, right? You know, those uh, the remnants of a, a prep a, looks like a coffer dam. Uh, other structures there. Um, that's significant. So what would account for that? I mean, but one of the things you've got to take into, uh, you have to consider is, and one thing that's kind of neglected in a, in a lot of the uh, narratives relating to the treasure hunt is the presence of Basque fishermen in these, in these waters long before the French explorers arrive. They're here, they're, they're in contact with the Mi'kmaq, they're probably trading with the Mi'kmaq, they're building structures on the shores of Nova Scotia and various coves and, and harbors. And, uh, you know, they're here for, uh, they're building significant structures. They're processing fish. It's a, it's a major European fishery that's uh, underway during that early, early period, you know in the uh, 16th century. And uh, they would have left structures behind. And maybe, maybe that would account for, for, for some of the new finds and some of the structures that, would, that uh, have been found, Smith's Cove, maybe even the so-called swamp. So, I mean, there are, th so you would conclude that there are things here. It sounds to me, let me put it this way, that you're, yeah. you're kind of leaning into that camp that I think I find myself a little bit too, which is the evidence that we've seen in the history of the dig points towards something outside of history, but so far, not something treasure related, right. specifically. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have, uh, in, the in my conclusion, I kind of, point to that and say, look, um, the, what we're looking at here, rather than, there's always this assumption, and one thing that, that I guess drives the show to some degree, is that it's a treasure hunt. I like to look at it more as a mystery, 
and um, yeah. what are the key elements of the mystery that can't be accounted for by historical record or science. And um, there is a mystery. I, there's no doubt about that. But it may have nothing at, whatsoever to do with uh, treasure. If, for instance, you um, were to accept the uh, testimony of the geologists, and many of them have come forward to say, look, um, the uh, flood tunnels derive not from, they're not human construction. They, uh, they derive from the erosion of uh, limestone and, and uh, you know, it's, it's water creating uh, these, these so-called flood tunnels. Uh, and and uh, the, let's, so if you were to take the money pit out of the equation and the flood tunnels out of the equation and this inscribed stone out of the equation, right. You do have some other elements, but they no longer exist. So, so what, but what are you left with then? Well, you are left with those structures in Smith's Cove. You are left with stuff going on in the, the swamp of some sort um, and the coconut fiber. I go back to the coconut fiber. It's, if it was there in the, in the kind of quantities that they, they, um, they uh, report, that's kind of inexplicable. It's, it's, um, there, you don't find coconut fiber of that kind, to that degree, you know, or that quantity, rather, uh, anywhere else in Nova Scotia, on any other island. I mean, there's nearly 365 of them in Mahone Bay, and uh, they are. The, you do not find beaches cover a beach covered with coconut fiber. So, what accounts for that? Yeah, I mean, bef before we get into the theory part of it, I think I I, I think the sort of the last question about the history of the dig and this kind of stuff that that I would want to ask just because it's it's so big into the show at this moment and I know we're getting into the new show in a couple in a few weeks and and I and you bring up the swamp so I want to get a historian's take on you've already mentioned things like found in this in the um in the Smith's Cove, the with the U-shaped structure, which I always called the coffer dam as well, yeah. the wharf and things like that. What do you make of what they're finding um with this stone feature in the swamp. I mean, I have an archaeologist tell me it is unique to uh, that area of the world, that that was not something that certainly the native population, the First Nations would have done. Uh, do, you, do you have any take on any of that? Not yet. I think it's too early to okay. tell. Um, I think we've got to see more uh, evidence. I think... Um, it's not surprising. I mean, the we got to look more carefully and see the full extent of that the okay. stonework, right? And, and uh, the dimensions and the construction methods that were used. And uh, it, but it's not at all surprising that in an, on an island 
in the Mahone Bay that you would find evidence of human contact. I mean, we know the Mi'kmaq were, were on that island, uh, and we know that the Basques were visiting on a regular basis. Um, there's going to be shipwrecks. There's going to be things that drift into the bay and uh, onto, onto that island. That's not unusual. I think if you start digging shorelines in Nova Scotia, you're going to find stuff like that, given the history of, of you know, the maritime activity that occurred in Nova Scotia over the centuries. It's inevitable that there would be evidence. So you, so you think uh, it's so you think it's too early to call it a Roman road built by Portuguese Templars. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might be. <laughs> All right. Also, the other thing on the ar- on archaeology. Yeah. Um, and 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 history in general, science as well. What you want to see is a not a single archaeologist coming forward and offering an opinion. You want a group of archaeologists debating what it is they're all looking at. Right. Because I think that's going to give you a more accurate result. You know, people coming at it, even within the archaeological profession, from different bra- different uh, backgrounds with uh, varying points of view. I think that that would be more uh, that would be productive. My t- my feel from the show is, and I don't want to get too far into the show, but my, my feel from the show is that, that that actually probably has happened. We just don't get to see it. That you know, could be. You know, we have multiple yep. archaeologists and grad students and things like that that have been on there, um, yeah. and they probably do debate this stuff, and we just get to hear the, the part that makes it sound like they think it's a Portuguese Templar whatever. Right. right. <laughs> yes. And that is it for part one of our interview with author John Bell. Uh, The book, again, is Oak Island Illustrated, The 225-Year Search for Truth and Treasure. And patrons, um, check your Patreon page in the next day or two for the contest uh, and how you can enter the contest. It's going to be as simple as just putting your name in the comments section of the post I'm making uh, (laughs) to say, yes, I'd like to be entered. The reason why I'm doing entry is because maybe you don't want a book, you know, Uh, so why, why why enter, right? Uh, or maybe you have it already. Uh, I would imagine there are some patrons who do. I mean, that is the most devoted of the Oak Island fans over there for sure. So again, guys, check your page for that. Then I think by September 1st, everyone who has entered will put your name in a hat and we'll make the uh, the seven-year-old around here pull a name out and then we'll uh, ship the ship the book out to you. And uh, again, if you think the, this show is worth five bucks a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Um, don't forget if you, you know, there are other ways to help out the show. Patreon is one way. The other really great way you can help us out is by leaving a review, uh, on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your shows. And we do have quite a few of them, but we can always use more. It helps get the word out on the show. So, uh, rate and review us. five star ratings is, uh, all we accept. <laughs> Uh, nothing else is allowed. So a five-star rating. And I thanks, thank everyone who has done that 
already. Uh, if you have any emails or any comments or questions about this particular interview or anything else Oak Island related, and I do have some to get to later on before the uh, season starts, uh, just drop me a line, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And also, you can find us on social media. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to your search bar, put in at Digging Oak Island. Um, and again, if you have any, uh, if you send me an email or send me uh, a message on Facebook or Twitter, uh, I'll probably answer it here on a future show. So if you don't want that, just drop me a line and let me know that you would rather not have your question read aloud. So until we speak again, as Mr. Blankenship used to say, I guess it's crown time. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.